0: hello this is chris campion i'm here with rick flynn to talk about a new book entitled the war is here newark 1967 book of photographs by the life magazine photographer budley which i'm the editor of it's out right now i'd very much like for you to pick up a copy and let's get started with the show you're listening to rick flynn with a shout out from london town it's rick flynn presents now ladies and gentlemen your mc for the affair rick flynn
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. Our book today is published by Z Books. That's Z Zebra, E. Edwards, Z E. Books. The book is entitled The War Is Here, Newark, 1967. Specifically, I'm talking here as is the editor of the book and the photographer who's Photo essay is going to be discussed today, and what captivating photos they are. This is the book, The War Is Here, Newark 1967, featuring the photographs of photographer Bud Lee and our guest today, the editor of that book, Chris Campion. And I hope, Chris, first of all, I'm pronouncing your name correctly. It's C A M P I O N, Chris Campion, the editor of of The War Is Here, Newark, 1967. Chris, do I have your name right? Can we start there?
0: Yeah, Campion is fine. There's a little bit of a French connection to it, so you can can put a little twist on it at the end.
1: Right, and you are a British writer, you're an author, you're a journalist, and you are an editor. Would I be wrong in stating that? That's all correct, Rick. Very, very well. Let me tell our audience, Mr. Campion, that July 1967, after the arrest, beating, and imprisonment, of a cab driver known as John Smith by local police. The city of Newark, New Jersey, already a tinderbox, became a hotbed of protest and retaliation. I'm gonna stop right there. Chris, what did John Smith, a cab driver, in the city of Newark, New Jersey, already, uh, well, he's profiled in this book, but what did he do to get a arrested, beat, and thrown in prison, if you could help me out there.
0: I believe he took a wrong turn.
1: And Uh, that was it?
0: Yeah, that was it. And he was stopped by the police and pulled out of his cab, taken to a precinct. Yeah, he was pretty severely beaten. His um, ribs were separated. There were rumors that he had died in police custody. And so people started gathering in front of the police precinct. And that was the beginning of the events in Newark. It was actually the spark that lit the fire, but Newark was, there was a lot of things going on in Newark at that time that were causing great frustration. It was a majority black city run by an entrenched white power structure, mostly Italian, and there was an awful lot of corruption in the city
1: at the time. Right. Um, Now, let me interrupt you here, if I could, sir. July 1967, after the arrest, beating, and imprisonment of cab driver John Smith by local police, the city of Newark, New Jersey, already a tinderbox became a hotbed of protest and retaliation. Over five long days, 26 people were killed by police gunfire. Hundreds more were injured. Thousands were arrested. Millions of dollars in property damage was caused. The scars on the city remained for decades. The War is Here, which is the book that you edited that we're discussing on this show, The War Is Here, documents the several days that photographer Bud Lee spent in Newark on assignment for Life magazine, capturing the transformation of the city into an urban war zone. Lee would witness the violence firsthand, seeing two policemen shoot a black man named Billy Fur in the back, murdering him in cold blood. Lee captured it in a dramatic sequence of photographs that ran in Life magazine. It was one of the first times, if not the first time that Americans saw images of police killing US citizens. The same bullets also hit and wounded a 12-year-old boy named Joey Bass Jr. who had been playing at a nearby intersection. Lee's image of Bass, that's the 12 year old, lying bleeding and contorted in pain on dirty concrete, ran on the July 28, 1967 cover of Life, sparking a national conversation on race and police violence and becoming the defining image of, quote, the long, hot summer of 67, a summer of protest and rage across the country. Now, you have a forward to this book written by the mayor of Newark, the current mayor of Newark, New Jersey. I believe he is their 40th mayor, the Honorable Raj J. Baraka. And before I bring you back, I just have to do one thing because, well, even before I I saw your book and I've looked and read every page of it, although predominantly I'd like to let our audience know that this is a much like Life Life Magazine was known for. It's a photo essay. Let me just say that there are a lot of photos in it which were taken by Bud Lee, some of whom were such to where I could not even use the photos to promote this very show. My heart wouldn't allow me to do it. It'll bring tears to your eyes, what you see in some of these photos. But my question to you I want to get started with is the most shocking thing about the photos in the book is that over the last few years, exactly the same scenes have been playing out before us in cities across America, including, let's say, Portland, Charlottesville, Ferguson, Memphis. Atlanta, Los Angeles, and many other places. I'm leaving out whole entire states and not even mentioning them because we are all over the place where people have come out on the streets to have their voices heard, to protest police brutality, police killings, and gun violence, and have been met with disproportionate militarized force and state power. Looking at the images Bud Lee, the photographer, shot of Newark in 1966, and seeing the parallels we could draw with today, right now, I ask you, Chris Campion, how is this still going on 50 years later? Will you please answer me that question?
0: You know, I don't know if there's an easy answer to that, but, uh, you you know, you've really hit the nail on the head as to why... we wanted to do the book and actually the impetus for the book came from seeing the protests at the murder of George Floyd in the summer of 2020 and the national guard being sent into DC, and that's really where we started the book. We were looking at the images of Newark, realizing that the same things were happening over and over and over again. And you know, as much as this is historical document, I really wanted people to draw connections to what was happening today. I just felt like these images needed to be seen today, just so that we can get a sense of perspective and you know partly that's because you know we we are constantly caught in the moment we're sort of living in this eternal present of these traumatic events that keep happening over and over again and i think you know we we lose that sense of perspective of how long these things have been happening and the reasons they've been happening so while i can't really offer a a, an explanation as to why they keep happening. They're obviously very fundamental problems within the country that are still not being dealt with. I just wanted people to be able to look at the images and reflect on them and reflect on what's happening today, you know, and what they see on the news every single day, pretty much.
1: Absolutely. Is it fair to call what you have published in this book, The War Is Here, Newark 1967, a photo Essay, a photo journalistic piece, a collection of strategic photos. How would you describe the book that you edited? What would you say to the audience that has not seen it? I've seen it. I've read it, if you call that reading it. I've seen every photo in there and I've read all the text in there. And the text is primarily essay oriented. There's not a whole lot of text, but the photos will bring. Tears to your eyes. What do you tell the listener that has not yet seen the book? What do you call it?
0: Well, it's you know, it's it's essentially a monograph of photographs by Bud Lee, and it's the first monograph of his work that has ever been published but it is on just this single subject it's one particular story he worked on which was his first major assignment for life magazine and when his photos were published in life as you mentioned he his photograph of joey bass jr was on the cover of life magazine and the interior of the magazine there was a story entitled the killing of billy fur and that story was illustrated by about 6 to 8 photos in the sequence that bud captured of of billy fur being shot and killed by the police other than that he took several hundred photographs none of which have ever been seen before so there are 110 photos in this book the majority of which have never been published and in looking at the photos they were not photos that life magazine would necessarily publish they were lot more reflective and their photos of the people in Newark, essentially just trying to deal with these extraordinary circumstances they found themselves in, with a city that was in lockdown and a sort of military occupation in some senses. Because by the time that Bud Lee had arrived there, the the National Guard had been called in by the governor. They had set up roadblocks. They had, there was a curfew in the city. So Bud Lee was capturing something that is sort of post the initial explosion of violence that occurred, and they're very much. Photos of people just coping
1: and going about their daily lives. Chris, the Newark uprising, sparked by the treatment of John Smith, lasted for five days. Between July twelfth and July 17, 1967, on the second day, New Jersey Governor Richard Hughes declared a state of emergency, called in the National Guard, and instituted a citywide curfew. Police used over 10,400 rounds of ammunition to, quote, quell the protest, sometimes firing indiscriminately into apartment buildings. 26 people were killed by police gunfire. Hundreds more were injured. Millions of Dollars in property damage was caused, and the scars on the city remained for decades afterwards. There was no accountability for the civilian deaths caused by police gunfire. A grand jury refused. To issue any indictments. This would later inspire the title of the best book written about Newark and its aftermath by journalist Ron Parambo, and that book was entitled No Cause for Indictment. Now, true or false, were they firing indiscriminately into apartment buildings? Yes, that's
0: true, Rick. So the reason why police were firing indiscriminately into apartment buildings is that there were rumors of snipers firing at police. And this was sort of, um, you know, a reason that was giving, given for sort of just cause for the extreme reaction by the police and National Guard. There were never any snipers arrested. Life magazine actually ran a photo of a sniper, a supposed sniper, but it was a staged photo. It didn't, it wasn't real. And this was a reason that was given in, you know, m- multiple situations ac- across different American cities. You know, you would always get news reports that there were snipers firing at the police or firing at the army what it really was that the police were sort of given orders to shoot the police director of newark city police issued a command if you have a gun use it and he didn't give any qualification to that instruction so police basically would fire indiscriminately. They would fire into apartment buildings. There were grandmothers shot and killed. Children. Fire. Sorry? Children. There was a 10-year-old boy who was killed when the National Guard opened fire on his family's car as they were traveling to White Castle for dinner. There were 26 people killed i believe one of those was a policeman and one of those was a fireman and and there's no way of knowing if there were more people killed or not but the, you know the official numbers there were 26 and 24 civilians shot by police gunfire and they were you know women children grandmothers mothers a cross-section
1: yes. of society yes
0: yes and again yeah as you mentioned there was a grand jury that was set up to consider whether the police should be charged with crimes related to these killings And in every single case, they came back and said there was no cause for indictment. So there was no police accountability for these deaths um, at all. I mean, in, in some senses, you know, when we're looking at today, that's the one thing that is starting to change is that we're seeing accountability for some of these things that are occurring and for some of the police killings that are occurring. A lot of that is down to sort of public outrage. You know, we're living in a very different time where people can photograph things on their cameras and suddenly these things are available on the internet or through news shows or anything like that at the time you know it, the media was very limited and people's access to the media was very limited so the fact that life magazine ran this story with photographs that bud Lee had taken of billy fur being shot and killed was a very unusual thing at the time and it did spark you know a lot of outrage i think especially in newark In the photos of wounding of um, Joey Bass Jr., the 12-year-old boy that ran on the cover, were also very controversial.
1: You mentioned the George Floyd death, and I had an earlier guest on this very program, a gentleman of color that is hired to educate the corporations on how to have diversity and inclusion in their organization. So he deals with a lot of the questions that we're discussing today, and he stated that that George Floyd situation was the very first time nobody stepped in in an attempt to even make up other excuses as to why that knee was on George Floyd's neck. Mm Mm-hmm. And the officer, of course, he's now serving, I believe, life uh, for 20-something years, I believe. They just convicted an Asian man that was with him that was an officer that watched it and for not jumping in to stop it. And I believe two more are either convicted or sentenced, have already been sentenced. I don't know what's happened to the other two. But it did change a lot when they found the officer that had caused the death of Mr. Floyd. It it changed the way society began to look at similar occasions. Something for a change was done how does that sound something was different it was no longer we have investigated ourselves and found that ourselves did no wrong which it usually is now they investigated themselves and that officer is in the big house for 20 something years Uh, you're not going to argue with that are you
0: no i wouldn't argue with that at all you know there was um there was in the case of newark to go back to the to the book, and, and specifically the, the murder of Billy Furr, I went through the transcripts of the commission that was set up by Governor Hughes, who was the Democratic governor of New Jersey at the time, to investigate the events of July 1967 in Newark. And there were two African-Americans on that commission, one of whom, I think they were both attorneys. There was a man named Oliver Lofton, and he had occasion to interview Dominic Spina, who was the police director of Newark at the time. And he specifically asked him about the photographs that had been published in life magazine of the murder of billy fur and whether the shooting and killing of billy fur was justified and the police director was sort of cornered and it's basically offered a number of excuses as to why the police shot and killed a man shooting him in the back as he was running away and ultimately dominic spina did not he admitted that that it was you know not the way that the police should be using lethal force for against citizens in that way. So there was sort of there wasn't any accountability, but essentially he admitted that it was a wrongful killing. The mother of Billy Furr actually sued her life insurance company because they refused to pay out for uh, Billy, her son's death. And she won that case under a double, double indemnity law, which basically meant that the court decided that Billy Fur was unlawfully killed and the police were responsible. You know, I think she only received something like 1000 something dollars for that, you know, as a, as a payout. But it apparently was a precedent-setting case uh, in terms of insurance companies having to pay out for unlawful killings and um, use of the double indemnity. Yeah. While there was no police accountability, there were a few things going on just in terms of documentation that put the ball firmly in the police's court in terms of acting unlawfully and using lethal force in unnecessary situations. You know, I think obviously we're in a different world today and the public is a lot more heightened. There's a lot more pressure on the police to basically police themselves and to deal with bad cops. And, um, you know, I think that's the one thing that certainly changed. And, you know, obviously, you know, George Floyd was a turning point in that way. I mean, if you, even if you look back to the beating of Rodney King, you know, clearly that, that case did not go the right way. And, you know, there was a rebellion in LA after the after the trial of the you know police that beat Rodney King. So we have come some distance, you know, some way in in sort of um, you know, having a measure of police accountability. There's still a long way to go, obviously, because these events should not be happening in the first place. There should not be traffic stops where people end up dead, or you know, that's essentially what we're talking about here as well.
1: When you have a situation where, quote, we have investigated ourselves, that is cause for concern right there. Because when we have investigated ourselves, you'll be amazed at how many times, Chris, it comes back and we have found we have done no wrong. That right. has to change. Absolutely. Number two, a doctor who can kill someone if they don't do their job correctly, a surgeon especially. They have to have malpractice insurance. They are not allowed to practice without it. A gun can forever change someone's life if it is used in a malpractice fashion. Why not malpractice insurance paid for not by somebody else, not by some other outstanding organization who will say, look, you don't worry about it. Just go out and do your thing. We'll take care of it. No, no, no. Malpractice insurance paid for out of the pocket of the party to whom society and the government gives the gun and say, You may get sued once, and we'll represent you. You may get sued a second time, and we'll examine it, and if it's worth it, we'll represent you. Get sued a third time, and you're out three strikes, and you're out no longer practicing if you violate someone's civil rights. Does that make any sense to you, or do you think I'm all wet? (laughs) No, it makes
0: perfect sense. Um I I don't know that I'm, you know, qualified to talk about some of these things cuz uh, you know, ultimately, I'm sort of the editor of a book of photographs from British, <laughs> well, you know,
1: so How about um, just just a a, a, a but I, Am know, I, I think, in I, the ballpark here?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and look, I think, you know, the, part of the reason I wanted to, you know, my interest in working on this book and the, and the and the way that I put it together was really to uh, you know, hope that people ask themselves questions about some of the things they see. Happening. Happening around them, and I think you know, I really wanted to start a conversation with this book, and where that conversation goes and what it results in is, it's really not, you know, I I can't determine that, but I really wanted people to look at these images and reflect and think about them, um, you know, about how they connect to to things that are happening around us in the present day, and you know, I'm very glad that you're bringing up these issues because you know, it, it shows me that you know, the book does have that kind of impact. You know, that it, it that really does, um, you know, connect directly. You know, the, we're talking about events that happened in Newark 50, over 50 years ago now, 50, you know, 53 years, I think. You know, the fact that these photographs still have a currency is Pretty extraordinary, I think. And they had that impact on me. I just want to say something a little bit about, you know, you, you talked about how um, the images, some of the images affected you. And I had basically split this book up into sections. And one of the sections of the book is entitled The Killing of Billy Fur. Bud Lee shot maybe... 25 images of that incident and we used all but one image in the book and the reason I did that was I didn't want the images to be spread out amongst the whole bunch of other images I wanted you to basically experience this as Dudley was taking photographs so you are seeing what he's seeing moment by moment and you know I really felt that this was a way to kind of impart the gravity of this event the weight of it and the, um, you know, the drama and the and the tragedy of this event is to really put you in that moment with Butley. And you know, some of the initial reactions I've had from people who've seen the book, you know, kind of bear out that, um, you know, uh, my sort of thinking for doing that in, in terms of you know, the way people have been affected by those images.
1: You have what is referred to today as qualified immunity. Mm-hmm. I cannot get sued because I am a blank employee, and uh, therefore I'm immune to it. Does that not cause further violence to occur, knowing that in your head? I believe what is behind the death of Mr. Uh, Floyd had probably a lot to do with thoughts of that. I'm alleging, I, I have no idea, I can't say, but it would seem to me logical that somebody who would commit the death of George Floyd would think, well, I... Uh, it doesn't really matter much to me because nobody can touch me. Like MC Hammer, remember? You can't touch sure. this. Yeah, that's what. I don't mean to make light of it, but if, if they think you can't touch this, they're going to do things other than to know that there's going to be serious consequences if they do do it. And now officers are starting to look around and say, you know what? There are some serious consequences if if I start killing people with a knee on the neck. Disgusting. the fact that even after George Floyd was killed, we've had other officers who they brought up by putting knees to people's necks after that, if you can believe that. But it's true. Yeah, I think, you know,
0: the the one phrase that runs through my head that I associate with the police is to protect and serve. And they're there to protect and serve. I think, you know, it seems as if their mission has shifted away from that.
1: Right. Qualified Um, immunity, I feel, has to go. New Mexico got rid of it, I believe. Colorado got rid of it. New York got rid of it. More states are coming. I would like to have all 50 of them get rid of it. How about you? What do you think, if you have any any opinion on well, it? Well,
0: you know, look, I'm British. We don't have police with guns. I come from a very different culture. The idea of meeting a, a, an armed officer scares me somewhat.
1: <laughs> right, so,
0: yes. So, you know, I have been stopped by the police police you know at various times for you know fairly minor infractions on the road and there's a sense that um it's always a pretty tense situation i don't know that it needs to be it's probably more tense it's certainly more i feel more tense because i know that the police are armed i come from europe it's a it's a very different way of policing there there are a lot of problems in europe Uh, And in the UK, with you know there are police killings in the UK as well, and and, and that occur in different ways. But there's a problem of police accountability in the UK as well. But the police in general, don't have weapons on them. Part of this book is, you know, I would sort of, I would hope people reflect on on guns and gun violence as well. And the idea of why are there military-grade weapons on the streets in the hands of civilians or in the police or whatever, you know, I, I just think, you know, that's another strand to this to this book. I don't want to pontificate about whether people have the right to bear arms or anything like that. It's not my country. It's not my place to say. But I think, you know, we're seeing the results, unchecked use of military grade weapons on a daily basis with mass murders happening weekly. And this is the only country in the world where that happens. I, I think, you know, in England, we're very aware of that. If you're, I, I'm, you know, I I'm not living in England, but I'm, you know, I'm an outsider here. You know, it, it, it just, it's a crazy situation that people are being killed every day. And, and part of this book really is about the trauma of these kind of events you mentioned uh, mayor Baraka and the introduction he wrote for the book and um, you know he was very gracious uh, in, in in agreeing to write an introduction for the book he wrote that the text that he writes is about personal trauma his own family trauma that came out of the events of Newark 1967 and the trauma on the city and generational trauma that continues to this day because of these events his father was the esteemed poet and playwright, Amiri Baraka, who was, you know, a a writer, brilliant writer, quite controversial at the time, also a political activist. And Amiri Baraka was, had, in, in July of 1967 Amiri Baraka had moved from Greenwich Village where he was in the sort of literary scene and the, the um, art scene in Greenwich Village in the in the um, early to mid 60s he'd moved back to Newark and he had become very political at that time and was involved in the city and and involved in organizing and the same night that uh, July 12th sp- that things had sp- sort of kicked off in in Newark. Amiri Baraka was out in the city, traveling in a van with a number of other people. He, too, was stopped by the police. And he, too, was beaten severely, almost to the point of death. And he was arrested and kept him in, in uh, jail for a short period of time.
1: This is um, the mayor of Newark, New Jersey's
0: son? No, the father. Of, so, so, so the mayor of, the mayor of, the current mayor of Newark, Ros Baraka, his father, Amiri Baraka.
1: Oh, okay. Was, it's his
0: father. Yeah. Yes, uh, yes. Okay, I'm
1: sorry. The current yeah. mayor right now, as we speak, of Newark, New Jersey, it was his father who went through this and endured yes.
0: that. Yes. Amiri Baraka, who was also known as Leroy Jones initially.
1: Okay. Uh, he,
0: and, he, and he changed his name to Amiri Baraka. So Amiri Baraka was stopped by the police, traffic stop, uh, beaten severely by a number of different, uh, you know, uh, multiple police, arrested, charged with illegal possession of a firearm that he claimed had been planted in his van and put on trial for that. And I believe served time three years in state prison for that charge. So Mayor Baraka writes about these events and uh, the trauma that existed within his own family that was related to these events in a very vivid and compelling way. And he locates these events back, you know, uh, sort of brings it back to today. And he mentions also George Floyd in his text um so you know he has a a, a, a very strong personal connection to to the events of Newark in 1967, even though he was not born at that time. I I believe he was born in 1970. Um, But the events of Newark 1967 were very fresh and had affected his family greatly.
1: I would like to commend everybody that was behind the impetus, if you will, that got the ball rolling to finally see that the George Floyd situation was not handled by the good old boys network that you usually have where they investigate themselves and they find that themselves did no wrong. Here, various people are paying the price for doing something that had no business being done. So I commend all those people. I think the rest of society is looking at that saying, you know, let this be a lesson to other jurisdictions throughout America. Now, do I think all other jurisdictions are going to go that way? I do not think that. No, I think there are some that are as corrupt as the day is long that would never allow a situation like that, because number one, there's people that will get up there and lie through their teeth while they swear to God to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help them. And they'll get up there and lie. So you cannot always believe what people say. We have a new device, which they are outfitting all the officers with, thank God, which is called a body camera. And what do they do? They either A, turn it off so you don't see or hear anything, or B, they mute The sound, and they only give you the picture, and that you have no idea what it is they're saying. We have technology in this world right now to put that little black box body camera on every party who is employed in America and then some other countries and have it impossible to turn off, to have it impossible to mute the sound, to have it go constantly no muting of sound, no turning off of the video, and it will upload to the cloud. And the cloud does not have the good old boys in charge of it. It is a completely third-party situation where you cannot tamper with the evidence. That's what we need, the body camera. This is just one thing that'll keep this world honest. I'm sorry it's come to that, but This is what we need right now. The whole world has a high definition camera in their pocket that records sound and pictures. We need crucial employees to have that camera on their chest as they walk around recording everything. And somehow I believe the lying and the corruption is going to either stop or be very much greatly, uh, you know, reduced. Uh, Are you with me there?
0: Oh, yes, absolutely. And, you know, and I think, you know, when we look back at these images that are in the that Budley shot uh, in Newark, you know, this was a very different time. You know, people didn't, you know, this was a, a photographer who was employed by a media organization to take pictures of an event. And he captured something that, I, you know, I don't believe had been seen before. Um, you know, there were a lot of people killed in Watts uh, in 1965. I think over 30 people. I'm not sure the exact number. But I don't believe that there were any photos actually capturing the police shooting and killing people. I think, I I do believe that that these photos that Bud Lee shot in Newark uh, of the killing of Billy Fur that ran in Life magazine was the first time that America was exposed to images like this you know, of essentially an extrajudicial killing and execution by police of an American citizen. You know, and I think that's why those images had impact. You know, we live in a very different world today with technology that's available to us on our phones. The footage, I believe, of George Floyd's murder was taken by a bystander, a, a young woman, uh, a young girl who um, ended up testifying at the, at the trial of the police officer that killed George Floyd. So, you know, we live in a very different world where these images can be captured very easily. It's not just journalists and photojournalists who are capturing these things. In most cases, it isn't at this point at this point it's very difficult to capture images like this and and bud lee was just however you look at it whether at the right place at the right time or the wrong place at the wrong time to capture these images i hope people reflect on that as well in in some ways when they when they look at these photographs i do want to say also that i was very focused when i was working on the book on on thinking about the trauma of these events and i think i mentioned it a little bit earlier but just i think about the people that are left behind the families you know i think one of the most moving things was watching the george floyd memorial and you know seeing his daughter and um, you know friends and family and and these kind of events affect huge amounts of people they're happening on a weekly daily weekly basis we're talking about a lot of people that are being affected by the deaths loved ones friends colleagues and then when you put in the mass killings at schools, you know, supermarkets, you know, uh, shopping malls, you know, This huge amounts of people that are being affected and living with the trauma of gun violence violent deaths at the hands of police or you know lone actors you know this is it's uh, it's an unprecedented situation it reflects back to the title of the book the war is here there are people being killed not 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 in you know huge numbers but i mean there are people being killed
1: every day integrity is the type of person that you are be it what your line of work. Be ye male, be ye female, or otherwise, I don't care. Whatever you are, integrity is pride in what you do, how you rate yourself in regard to how you treat others around you. We had a situation recently in this country where an officer allegedly was beating the daylights out of and in the in the opinion of another officer who just happened to be a female, uh she thought that excessive force was being used. She grabbed that officer by the belt and and uh, pulled him off of the subject that the harm was allegedly being done to, and what did that officer do? He turned around and choked her out, and she's in a uniform another officer. Now, I believe they've disciplined that guy and either suspended him or got rid of him somehow. But I believe he did. Last I heard, he was suspended or something. But the woman in this case had the integrity. The male, the only thing he could come up with were two hands to choke out that woman and saying, don't you ever put your hands on me again this is what the problem is. We do not have integrity of certain people who we trust to have integrity, to have professionalism, to be truthful and not lie their entire occupational career through and through and through. And this was early back in 1967 when Bud Lee's photograph documented all this in Newark. And now you have got this country and the rest of the world when this book is released, you're going to have them asking questions. We've asked a few of them here, but if the world asks questions on this book, which is due to be released in a week or two, have you accomplished what it is you would like to do? And if not, what would you like to accomplish when this book gets released within just a matter of days from right now?
0: Um, you know, to be honest, it's an accomplishment just to get this book published. So I'm I'm very pleased that we've managed to realize it. Um, that the publisher Z Books has sort of, you know, kind of, um, you know, really supported the release of the book. And you know, I think it's an important book because of the issues it raises, um, because of the images that are contained within it, as far as how it's received, I, I would just like like people to be able to pick it up and look at it and and you know, reflect on on what it contains. So it's a success for me that it's it's published, hopefully it will, it will get some attention and people will talk about it. Yeah, there's not a lot more I can say to that, I think.
1: Chris Campion, ladies and gentlemen, is our guest on today's show. He is from the UK, although he lives currently in the United States. He is an author. He is a journalist. He is an editor whose work has been published in the LA Times here in the United States, Rolling Stone magazine here in the United States, Vice here in the United States you've published in The Guardian and The Telegraph, which I believe are UK magazines or newspapers. Is that true, Chris? That's correct. The Guardian and The Telegraph.
0: Uh, I've also written for The Times. These are the sort of, you know, the equivalents of The New York Times, The Washington Post and The LA Times in the
1: UK. Excellent. The book, ladies and gentlemen, is published by Z Books, Z-E. Z E Z is as in zebra. E as in Edward. Z Books is the publisher. The book is entitled The War Is Here. Newark, 1967. Photographs by the late Bud Lee when he was on assignment for Life magazine. And they are spectacular photographs indeed. I cannot describe all of them here. It would be a sad tale. I, I'm not going to get into that. I would highly recommend anybody who would like to learn about the history of Bud Lee and the work that he did. And fascinating. Oh, what did you call it again? I, I keep a, wanting a to call it a photo. <laughs> yeah, a monograph. I've never used that term. I keep calling it photo essay. But how many photos in that book? Uh, there
0: were 110 photos. All right. And then their they're, they're color and black and white Um, they're beautifully produced, um, very extremely vivid, not only in the subject matter but just in the way that they were taken. Uh, you know, I should add that Bud Lee was trained as a fine artist, so he was trained as a painter and a muralist, and he really brought those that aesthetic and those skills to bear when he took photographs. He was a self-trained photographer, pretty much, and so the composition of the photos is very painterly in a lot of ways. He was bringing something more to his photographs than just a regular photojournalist. And I think that's reflected in the book. They're very powerful images. and and beautiful and tragic at the same time.
1: If you are interested in civil rights in any way, shape, or form, I would recommend this book. I have looked at every photograph in this book and have read the text. It is a fascinating look at what Bud Lee did in 1967, ladies and gentlemen. The book, The War Is Here, Newark, 1967, the photograph of Bud Lee, the text, the editing of our guest here today, Mr. Chris Campion who is a UK author, he's a UK editor, a UK journalist. He's currently been, I believe in the USA for about 10 years or so. We're happy to have him, a great great collection that he has done. What is that a mono what is the word again? Monograph.
0: A monograph,
1: a monograph. of 150 photos, how many? 110 photos. Some of them are in living color as you make in Life magazine. Others are in black and white. It is for those that are white, for those that are black, for those of any other race that's interested in history and civil rights and what went on in 1967 and why people are still talking about those same issues today. But technology is catching up. And as our guest today, Chris, told you, ladies and gentlemen. No longer do we need photographers like Bud Lee to tell us what's going on on the streets. Everybody has a camera. The journalist is now the least, (laughs) the party you don't even know. Remember, we had a situation. I don't know if you remember this, Chris. This was not George Floyd. This was not um, uh, the Simi Valley case of Rodney King. It was after After that, where a police officer shot a black male eight times in the back. As they were running away, got up there to the dying, if not the deceased body, one or the other. The patient did die eventually, uh, if he was not dead already. But he allegedly took his taser and dumped it on the ground next to the body. All the while, a gentleman from another lot over behind a fence photographed the whole thing. Do you remember hearing about that?
0: I'm not certain of the case that you're talking about. The gentleman, uh, the
1: photographer photographer, I believe his last name was Santana, George Santana. I am not talking about the rock and roll guitarist named Santana. That's a different guy. I believe that's the name of the photographer who shot an officer shooting the gentleman as he ran away eight times in the back and then getting out a taser and dumping it on the ground, to which the video clearly showed everything. And that individual, that that officer who lied about the entire thing, w- has also been incarcerated ever since that. I believe he's serving. Uh, uh, I, I I'm not going to say how many years, but I believe he's up there in the vicinity of uh, of what happened in the uh, the Floyd case. Uh, a long time. This is what's going on, ladies and gentlemen. Integrity. You've got to have it in any profession. All right. We need it most when people have guns on their hips. Chris, is there anything wrong with that, sir? Uh, I wouldn't have any argument with anything you've said. Oh, thank you, thank you very much. All right, where can they get the book if they would like it? The War Is Here, Newark, 1967. Tell them, Chris.
0: Well, it's available from any online retailer, from uh, Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com. You could also go to ZBooks, ZEBooks.com, and order it directly from the publisher and you know, even in your local bookstore. If they don't have it, you can ask them to order it, and uh, it's generally available.
1: Very, very well. I want to thank you, sir, for making yourself available, for coming on the show. It is a heartbreaking subject, to be quite honest with you. I would prefer not to even discuss it at all, but you're not going to get any progress. And I do believe progress is being made. I think progress was made on the killing of George Floyd. I'm just sorry George Floyd is not here with us on this show to discuss that progress. That's what I would prefer, but I can't do that. It's impossible. Progress is being made inch by inch, little by little, and thank God for these phones with these high-quality cameras. It's the best thing that ever happened uh, to society in my lifetime, Uh, I think Everybody deserves to have a high-quality video, high-definition camera with sound on them. And we'll put a stop to this, not in my lifetime, but eventually it's going to be reduced down very, very little. Now let's clean up some other things and get some integrity going and we can reduce this nonsense. And in regard to gun violence, uh, that's another whole show. I can't even go there. We don't have that kind of time. Anything else, Mr. Chris Campion, that you would like to say?
0: No, I just thank you for your interest in the book and, and I'm glad that it uh, you know, had an impact on you and it made you reflect on things that are happening today because that was part of my interest in in uh, working with these images. So um, thank you. Just thank you for your interest and for featuring the book.
1: Very well. Before I let you go, any other book in the works? And what subject matter are you going to tackle after this book, The War Is Here, which is raising so much, so so many questions? Uh, Do you have any idea what you're going to be working on next? Is it going to be the same type of thing that you're doing here? Or is it going to be like raising horses in the country or something totally different? (laughs) You know, my, my. Most of my work is sort of,
0: you know, I've done a lot of work on cultural subjects. So, you know, I write a lot about music and I've written books about music mostly so this is this is kind of an outlier for me in some in terms of this subject matter uh but the photos were just so powerful that that this needed to be done um i'm actually i've been working for a while on a biography of john phillips and the mamas and the papas and that's the next project that
1: i'm going to complete and publish so a very very different subject Boy, isn't that the truth? (laughs) From the war is here, Newark 1967, ladies and gentlemen, to the mamas and papas and (laughs) California Dreamin', starring our guest today, Chris Campion, and all the leaves are brown and the, the sky is gray. Yes. Oh, my, the mamas and the papas. Oh, but you know what? That was a band that was... That was a group that had the talent, I will say. Yeah,
0: it's going to be a very different type of book, but uh, hopefully there will be
1: some interest in it as well. It's Absolutely. a great story. Absolutely. What a, well, look for the new book, ladies and gentlemen, after we promote this one. And I'd like you to go out and get it, especially if you are concerned with civil rights. This is for all people, every race, everybody that wants to put integrity in their own children's lives, saying look at this. This is what we're trying to cure 50 years later. You know, we need the kids to see what went on in 67. We need the teenagers who are no longer young grade school kids, but the teens who have no idea about this. Not to mention that the adults can benefit as sad as it is. Let's get the word out. The war is here. Ladies and gentlemen, the title of the book, Newark, 1967, featuring the photographs of Bud Lee and the text by our guest today, editor Chris Campion. Chris, thank you a million times for coming on. I hope you've enjoyed it. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Rick Flynn speaking. It's been fun, but I've got to run. On behalf of myself and our guest, editor Chris Campion, we have been promoting the book, The War Is Here, Newark, 1967, published by z books go out and get it you won't be sorry we'll see you next wednesday with a brand new show good night everyone
0: yeah i'd very much like everybody to go out and get the book the war is here newark 1967 photographs by bud Lee. and thank you very much and i appreciate the interest
1: the proceeding was a rick flynn production this is your
0: announcer Chantal marie speaking